Coming up on the Vergecast, Alex Kranz and Chris Welch join us to talk about everything that happened at WWDC, including updates to iOS, iPadOS, and spatial audio everywhere. That's the Vergecast coming up now. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of platform arbitration. That's that's my new, this is a really technical administrative law podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Anyway, I'm Neil, I'm your friend. Dieter Bonus here. I am your bento box architect. Ooh, very good. We'll explain that reference in a bit. Alex Kranz is here again. Hey, Alex. I am also here and I'm more a fan of a Lunchable, so <laughs> I don't know. It is Amer- amazing that America took a hard look at the bento box and was like, Lunchables. We got this. (laughs) We got it. Crackers and cheese. Go. Chris Welch is here. Good to be back as always. There's a lot going on in this episode. There's WWDC. I feel like Chris and I could just do a full hour on spatial audio because that got rolled out this week. We could do a full hour of Dieter just sighing about the new multitasking situation and the iPad. I'm so mad. (laughs) This one's going to be a ride. But I want to start where we always start. covid It's not over. It feels over. I will tell you this. Where I live here in upstate New York, no one gives a shit anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just where we're at. There's no masks. Like, everyone's inside. It's great. I had dinner inside the other day. It was amazing. But it's still happening. It's still raging around the world. The United States is, it's not the only place in the world as much as Americans like to feel that way. And even inside the United States, things are all over the place. So we have a bunch of stories this week. COVID-19 hospitalization rates actually went up for adolescents in March and April, which is not a great sign. So please keep those vaccinations up. By the way, I want to call this out because it it just makes me laugh so hard. Uh, The Biden administration set a vaccination target goal for July 4th. We we might not hit it. It's like a real thing. Bud Light announced this week that they would buy everyone in America a beer if we hit the goal, (laughs) which is like the most American. Just that last push we really needed to get. It's like, who in the world is like, uh, I've been on the fence, but can't turn on a free beer. A free Bud Light, like not even a good beer. I applaud them. It just made me laugh so hard. Anyhow, it's still happening. Please, if you're not vaccinated, we have a lot of information on the site. There's a lot of other sites. Please get it done. I want I want this to be over badly. Speaking of reasons people are hesitant to get vaccinated, we have a deep dive into where the covid vaccine microchip conspiracy came from. And it is just a ride. It started with a a Reddit post It spun out of control. It got picked up and mutated. It is one of those very verge stories 
about just a little piece of information spiraling into a, a big thing. It is, uh, it's really, it's really great. You should just read it. It's on the site now. And lastly, um, if you're ever a chess listener, you know, we cover the digital divide a lot, which is everything from the broadband gap to the devices people use to who gets to message who, uh, the pandemic, lots and lots of second order effects as we've discussed. One of them is e-waste might be going down. The other one is the digital divide might be getting wider. So one of those things to read, it just, I think, oh, there's a lot of policy initiatives happening in the world that we always talk about, but broadband and infrastructure spending, the digital divide is one that cuts across both parties. It is staggeringly bipartisan people thinking about how to get broadband in places, how to get students everywhere, better devices. Uh, go check it out, because I think there's going to be a lot of action about this stuff in the, in the years to come. Okay. But speaking of the far end of the digital divide, Apple Inc. <laughs> <laughs> They're the fancy ones. Yeah. That's how I think about it. It was WWDC. We talked about it a lot last week. Alex, in her first episode with us, we just like went for an hour and 40. It was great. Deep dives in the old notification systems. We did, But then it happened. Yeah. I'm just going to say it directly. Wow. Was that underwhelming? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, and I, I think this is a lot of people had this response to it. First of all, we were all hoping for a new MacBook Pro. It didn't arrive. Yeah. Sean Hollister did a great post. I think he just needed to like get it out of get it out of his brain, like emotionally process the lack of a MacBook Pro. But Apple tagged its YouTube stream with M1X. Mix. Aww. And so like people like overthought it to the point where like, oh, they they they've it's they've acknowledged it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know about that. I like I understand why why Sean did the story. Like sometimes you just have to be like, I had all these feelings and I need to write them down. (laughs) So that, but that didn't happen. There was no hardware of any kind really. And then, you know, we went through what they could do to the various platforms. We'll talk about what they announced. Everything is very iterative except for some of the the privacy stuff they've added, which is kind of a big step forward, but also very complicated in how it works. Yeah. So I just like, I don't know, Dieter, what do you think? Yeah, I think iterative is fair. The thing that struck me is it was really, really hard to suss out when they were announcing features where they would go and what platform they were for. They like it was like every single feature is kind of for everything. The privacy stuff kind of works yeah. everywhere. The health stuff is kind of between the iPhone and the watch. The just all all of the features are kind of fuzzy between platforms, which to me is a real metaphor for how all of the apps now are fuzzy between platforms. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there are Mac apps and iPad apps and iPhone apps, and they're all different, but they're increasingly the same, but not. And that's how I felt like most of these announcements went. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a function of all the apps are really just front ends for services now. Yeah, a lot of services. But it's like in the background of everything. So like if you announce an update to the iPhone health app, what you are really announcing is an update to health a service provided from Apple that is exposed across all of your devices. Right. And, I, and I, the other thing I'll say is I think um, Apple just, they've gotten very good at making these hour and a half long infomercials that take the place of their events. But here they didn't, they didn't follow like the rules of great public speaking. They didn't tell you what they were going to tell you and then tell you and then tell you again. It right. was just like, you were just off to the races. And you had no idea what, what would happen next, which I think for a developer event, I think that feedback, we talked about the context of this, event and the unhappiness in the developer community a lot. They didn't feel the pressure to like address the elephant in the room. They waited quite a long time before they got to any developer stuff. Yeah. And I I, I just think it was an odd event. Hopefully it's the last infomercial event that we have. 
Like I would really like to start going back to live events and like seeing people. And there's something really important that you get from these events in person. But I think here it was just a flood of stuff. And Dieter, you're very good at, at calling out. Apple's great at writing narratives about itself. And I didn't catch a narrative. There was very little narrative at all. Like the the story coming out of this thing is they announced a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and like <laughs> there were there were so many missed opportunities. Like they could have just done an entire narrative that they've done it before around like privacy and AI, right? Uh, there's a bunch of new Siri updates that are actually really interesting. Um, it's a little bit of catch up to Google Assistant, honestly. So it could do like reading text, which is sort of like Google Lens. It can do on-device Siri stuff, which is actually a huge deal because that's been forever that you haven't been able to just use Siri when you were offline and it's way faster. And they could have just connected that to privacy and they could just like run through, run that thread through almost like half or more of the things they announced. And people would have been able to like understand where things were going. But instead it was just a bunch of sort of disparate things. I don't know. I'm excited by about a, a bunch of the stuff that got announced, and I'm really excited to try a bunch of the stuff that got announced, but I am uh, i don't see a vision for what Apple's stuff is for the next year here. I kind of do, actually. I think I think it was everything they weren't saying. I think it, I think like just the very structure of this WWDC, like it was so weird and all over the place. And I think this is part of them trying to like part of Apple trying to do this this you know it's moving from this company that sells software to this company that sells services. And we were this was the transition dubbed up for that, mm-hmm. like where we were really seeing that. Like we shouldn't have had an iOS. And a Mac OS and an iPad OS. It should have been Siri, home, TV, health. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just the growing pains of this transition we're seeing from Apple. Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about iOS. They did announce a bunch of new features. Some of like as Dita was saying, some of them are just features for everything. But you know, they're like very specific. They, they're extending digital identity cards. So it used to be able to put credit cards in Apple Wallet. Now you can put your driver's license in Apple Wallet. I don't want to do that. I am not going to do that. But like, they're extending the capabilities in the places you might use your phone. The on-device Siri stuff, right? That was a really good Siri demo of just like it working really fast in a way that Siri doesn't work really fast right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. What's, what's that to you, Alex? I liked all of the stuff. I, I gotta say, I, I downloaded the the. I've got my developer account that that I, I pay for, even though I have not even attempted to develop an app in like ten years. And I, I downloaded it. I've been playing with it, and and so far, it's all the tiny things. There's no like, I didn't download it and just go, "Wow, yes, I'm here. This is the future. I need to go actually put this on my my regular daily driver phone." It was just like, okay, yeah, I've 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 got ios now and it's slightly tweaked (laughs) in lots of little tiny ways like i love that they've improved the print dialogue i love that we've gone from you could never print on an iphone you went to the print dialogue (laughs) you can like you can the print dialogue is improved like i think that was like your first place that wasn't one of my first things that was one of those things where i saw it online and i was like "Ooh, i'm gonna go check that out yeah (laughs) they also fixed the well they didn't fix they so with iOS 14, they broke the time thing where you like enter a time, the time picker, where it like loses focus mm-hmm. and you can't tab between them and you gotta like tap on this tiny little box and like enter in a number and sometimes it just gets lost. And so they they didn't they kept that, but then they brought back the giant dials. 
So like now it's both of those things. So like I'm glad I'm glad they brought back the dials because that's easier to use. But there's just a bunch of like, oh, we tried some stuff and now we're we're just gonna keep trying some stuff. Like it was very very Androidy in that way. Uh, there's a bunch of UI stuff that I'm like really you just you're gonna go that way. Okay. It, it feels cleaner. It does feel like slightly cleaner. Like when it booted up, I was like, new iOS. Heck yeah. Look at this. It's like the bubbles have a little bit more shape to them and <laughs> and, and they're losing a little of like the shadow and, and okay, I'm we're transitioning in our in our in our design language. But like it was very it's so, so tiny, the the changes. But, okay, but some of the features are like huge underneath the, this like Little coat of paint. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like stuff lurking under the surface. Like I don't know, X, the the XIF da- data thing is is one that I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like that's a very under talked about thing. This is such a Apple move, right? Like, yeah. For years, people have been like, I'd like to see all of the info about my photos in the Photos app, and yeah. Apple's been like, no. <laughs> and then there's like an R, like a, a there's an entire economy of apps. <laughs> To do this very simple thing. And now they've added it and everyone's like, amazing. And it's like, no, dude, they, you just got some water. You were just so thirsty and they just gave you some water. I was absolutely parched. And now I can delete all of these apps I never used to begin with that like I had on my phone just to like be like, that'll show Apple. I do want this. Let's talk about some of the highlight, some of the highlight features. I think we should, we should start with FaceTime in the, in the context of Everything is the same across all of its platforms, and, and there's they're just kind of exposing services. FaceTime took a gigantic step into being a competitor to Zoom in many ways and into a cross-platform service in the sense that Android and Windows people can now participate in FaceTime calls. They cannot start them. They cannot invite you to one, but they can join one, which is very strange. I think I said this in live. Apple runs on WebEx, and they, like, I don't know if any of you, if listeners have used WebEx, it's the worst software. <laughs> There's a part of me that says that Tim Cook was like, I can't use this anymore. Like, we got to do something. <laughs> and then the FaceTime team was like, oh, crap, he means us. <laughs> and they like, <laughs> just started, like, developing FaceTime. But so FaceTime, they've added some of the basics that you would expect. They went away from their, their weird bubbles view. There's just yeah. a straight-up grid view in FaceTime. They needed to do that a long time ago. Um, well, no, it's an option now. Yeah. Yeah, because because there's there's the bubbles and the bubbles will now have spatial audio and you'll be able to be like, "Oh, he's over there. Oh, she's over there." And or you can just <laughs> yeah. do a grid and I guess they'll all just hit you in the face with their voices. I'm not sure how that part's worked. I have not done the FaceTime yet. Well, what's interesting is uh, on the microphone side, if they're going to be able to capture that kind of depth, right, from the people in the room with you. Mm. So we'll see. Like, there's a lot of questions about how spatial audio will work with FaceTime, but they have built it out into a more full-featured Zoom competitor. I think fairly their assumption is, and this is true in my family, I'm not sending Zoom links when I want the grandparents to see my kid, right? Like, we're just, like, FaceTiming them. And if you can make that better, then you're going to eliminate an entire consumer use case for Zoom that people have started doing in the pandemic. Great. Then there's this send a link and it'll work on the web, which, Dieter, I know you have just a, a litany of thoughts about. Well, I mean, so what? You can't FaceTime call somebody on Android or Windows or whatever. You can you can create the link, and then that link allows other people to join. And I believe there's, like, some moderation stuff built into that. I mean, there would need to be. There's, like, the not—it's, like, the, the waiting room. Like, you can yeah. join the link and— 
whoever owns the call can invite let you in or not. Yeah, you have to you have to like get approved to get in, and then they, I think they can boot you. And you know, I'm sure it's just using WebRTC, um, which is how pretty much every video conference on the web works these days, which is great. You know, it, we've been dunking on Steve Jobs said FaceTime would be an open protocol for what a decade now, <laughs> um, and you know, uh, it would it would be nice if this were. I don't know. I feel like FaceTime links and having Android and Windows users join them is going to be the video equivalent of green bubbles, right? You can't call them. You got to like hit an extra button to bring up the link and then you got to figure out how to text the link and it's going to text them over green bubbles and blah, 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 blah. Uh, it is going to be another sort of subtle incentive for people to be like, oh, can you just get out an iPhone? This will be easier. That's like, I feel like it's great that they're opening up to other platforms, but I feel like they did it in the way that would be most likely to get people back onto their platform. Yeah. And I, there's a part of it that's fair, right? Set windows aside, like yeah. Apple making a full on FaceTime windows app. Okay. That's like a, that's a high bar. They're, they're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Apple making a FaceTime Android app makes sense. I think it seems like an eminently reasonable thing. They obviously make Apple music for Android. If you make a FaceTime app, then you might as well just put iMessage on it. Like you're yep. so close to having yep. iMessage on Android and you can't do it. <laughs> like <laughs> That's the end of that conversation uh, because just a standalone app that only does video calling to iPhones is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so I, I think there's a reason they went with the web. I've We don't know how it works yet on the web. I think there's a lot of question marks around like what set of web technologies is Apple using to make this work? Because if it is the standards that we kind of suspect they might be using, that opens the door to a lot of other things happening. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that Dieter's Dieter's making a face at me. I think I don't know what it's going to open the door to, honestly, like they're going to use like the standard that everyone's using. They're using web RTC. There'll be some moderation stuff. Hopefully they've thought through that. Yeah, I actually am like, I'm less enthused and think this is less big a deal than I think everybody else. Yeah, it's like, again, it's you're so thirsty. It's like Apple yeah. did something cross-platform <laughs> and you're like, oh, the world will reorder itself. And it's like, no, nah, that we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't think that Android and Windows users get to participate in share play. Alex, can you talk, like, t what's your perspective on this this feature? The the share play, the, the way that you can now watch movies with your, your friends. I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's a really... Interesting idea. And I also think it's mainly so Apple, like it's for Apple. I think it's less for the services because the services have all had this. They've all been able to do it. And now it's like Apple's the first, you know, big phone op operating system maker to to kind of glom onto this and make an actual API that everybody can use. And, and Google and, and Windows are probably both like Microsoft, both kicking themselves that they didn't think of this first. So I think it's I think it's really smart. And I'll be curious to see who actually uses it because I've done the whole watching movies with a friend over the phone. Like you both have your phones and you started at the same time or whatever. And it's awful. It's just <laughs> a really boring way. Like it is not, the, it's like a zoom call. It is not the same as being in the same room as somebody and like watching it on the couch together. What I'll put back in you is uh, the mayor of Easttown finale happened the other day. My wife wanted to watch it with her mom. And I fell down just an insane rabbit hole of making a new HBO Max account on my w wife's AT&T phone number, not ours, because we didn't want to like, because we both get it for free with our plans. Yeah. Uh -huh. So we're not technically cheating. And like, I don't know if you've ever tried to walk your mother-in-law through 
I need you to log in. First, I needed Becky to change her AT&T password so she could share it with her mom. Oh, my God. And then her mom could log into her AT&T account and off HBO Mac. Like, if I could have just been like, I need you to push this button. Yeah. like you can watch this show together. That would have been much better. And my mom's had an Apple TV for three years now, and I think she's turned it on twice. So I'm not really, really pumped for her to 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 fully embrace it. But I think it's I think it is super, super easy. I think we're going to see more like younger people using it than us olds. I could be wrong about that, but I think it's just brilliant of them to do it. I'm looking at the list of partners they've announced at launch. Disney Plus, Hulu, HBO Max. Makes sense. Twitch. Super interesting. Yeah, because everyone's already watching Twitch. It's like. It's strange to think about watching more Twitch more together than you are already watching Twitch together. Um, TikTok, which is a deeply fascinating psychological experiment into other people's TikTok algo. I'm not sure I want to open that door. I don't want to open it. Close it. Masterclass, which is like <laughs> you're very hopeful. Like, this is a very hopeful idea that we're all going to sit down and watch like Robert De Niro teach us to act together. Yeah. Uh, NBA and ESPN Plus, that makes sense. Paramount Plus makes sense. Pluto TV makes sense. Chris, what's not on the list, man? Uh, the streaming company that now thinks it's too big to deal with any of these uh, features from other companies. <laughs> that would be Netflix. I mean, just like a, a fascinating omission, right? Like they, as I was saying, they do have Netflix has its own version of doing this. It's cross platform. It works everywhere. If you're that big, you just don't need to use the system feature. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to like see how that works. We do have some information on like how SharePlay operates. So the demo that they gave to developers was not a streaming video app. It was a whiteboard app. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So there's an element of this where, you know, for the video apps, what they're really doing is they're just syncing video players. So if I try to share, let's, let's assume HBO Max is operating. It's a 50-50 proposition most days. But yeah, we're going to watch HBO Max together. I hit share play. It doesn't, I'm not like rebroadcasting the stream to you over FaceTime, right? It's just sending a deep link into the HBO Max app. That app opens on your phone. You have to be authenticated to it. And then the video players are synced up. So there's like, there's something very simple underneath all of this that enables you to do a whole bunch of other stuff with apps, which I think is super interesting. But that means everybody has to have a Hulu account or whatever. And it's kind of unclear. Like you can have all these different tiers of these various things. Like what if Chris has Hulu without ads and I have Hulu with ads? Like oh, just God. Chris have to just like <laughs> stop. Let's like watch some horrible Hulu ad. Chris, it's just like potty break every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, no, I'm watching the same commercial again, Chris. Would you like me to tell you about it? So I I think there's like some stuff in here that is like fascinating to see how it plays out and how the services implement it, because the API itself is kind of very simple. But it is very cool. I think a lot of people are going to try to use it. I think one of the big questions I have is how discoverable is this UI? Like there's a lot of floating iOS boxes they just like show up on your screen. You can like move them around. You can like swipe to pull them down. We'll see. I'm like, I'm excited to use it just because I did have this HBO Max experience the other day. And I was like, oh man, if only I could have just pushed this button for that. I left the room. I was like, I'm, I've done my part. You're both watching the show. I can't, I, I, don't, I don't. One of you is five seconds ahead. Deal with it. I'm leaving <laughs> yeah, the room exactly. now. <laughs> like, I've gotten as close as I've gotten as close as I can get. Um, but that's super cool. I just will see how, how it plays out. Chris, anything stand out to you? I think the map stuff uh, seems pretty cool. It seems like they are really, really focused on making maps really, really good. I mean, they did a lot of like visual stuff that looks really pretty. 
like overpasses and stuff and maps. Uh, they stole that feature from Google where you point your phone at like a building to see which way you're facing. Mm-hmm. And so that's great. And it just seems like there's sort of like AR-ish uh, kind of stuff in there. So you can see where that's kind of starting to come together. But yeah, I think uh, they've got a pretty huge focus on that this year too. The power of Apple is that I've forgotten Google has that feature. <laughs> so like the next day I was like in New York City and I came up out of the subway and I was like, works oh. super well. And I was like, I'm going to use this Google feature. I forgot about it. Fly my phone compass. Can't tell which way I'm facing in the year uh, 2021, but uh, sometimes it still happens. So I love it. It has yeah. a little circle over and over and over again. And you just like you go with it. If you walk yeah. four blocks the wrong way, it's just a little exercise. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the new look in maps? It's they, you know, Google kind of tends towards realism or very sparse, like outlines of buildings. Like Google's either like full on street view or it's like, here's some lightly rendered buildings to give you a suggestion. Apple's like, it's a cartoon. Yeah, you can zoom in and like see inside the Apple store as you zoom in, if you zoom in close <laughs> enough. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I think people really responded to it. How do you feel about it? I like it personally quite a bit just because like you're saying, Google is kind of like basic and plain and it's like very efficient, but like Apple's clearly going for some more visual flash and flourishes. And as long as like the data's there and that part's gotten a lot better too over the last uh, few years, I think it's going to be pretty nice. And especially the turn by turn directions look a lot better now uh, from what I saw. So Uh, Dieter, you called this out in the life log, right? They said, okay, here's the new turn by turn. They're very cool. They're like swoopy overhead. They show you the roads, do all this zooming. And they're like, we'll be on CarPlay in the next few months. Yeah. And I, that I don't understand at all because CarPlay fundamentally is just a second monitor for your phone. Well, there's not like a lot happening well, there's a lot happening graphically with some of these animations and some CarPlay. But that's all needs- rendered on your phone. Right. Maybe it's too visually intensive now, like for a phone screen. Right. But if, if you've got CarPlay wireless, maybe they're, you know, they did all this stuff knowing that how to do it on a phone with direct pipe, but they haven't thought through how are they going to do it to make sure it works on a bunch of different car displays. I think that for all of Apple's strengths, one of its weaknesses is that it is does, does not have the muscle of working with a huge open e- ecosystem of manufacturers. And so it might just take yeah. them a minute to get this for CarPlay. I feel like I, sometimes I, I know how CarPlay works. And then in moments like this, it's like, oh, I have no idea how this works. <laughs> My impression of CarPlay is that it's just sending, uh, it's just a monitor. It's just sending a yeah. 60 frames per second video screen to your car display. That's essentially right. All that yeah. processing is happening on your phone. Yep. And you're just saying the sizes and shapes of other displays in the world have confounded Apple. I mean, which seems ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, remember, like the iPhone was made you hard code to pixel dimensions for like almost a decade before they're like, oh, wait, Mm. we might want to do different screen sizes. We should think about this a little bit more. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to I want to change subjects. Can we talk about focus modes for like Three hours, maybe four, because <laughs> that's how many emotions I have about it. <laughs> Create a focus mode to talk about focus modes. Yeah, I'm going to hit the button. All notifications have paused. Go ahead, dear. Okay, so they've created profiles. The way that you had profiles on your Nokia phone in 1997, you can now do them on your iPhone. So you basically can choose, like, do not disturb or sleep or driving or personal, or work, or you can make your own, like, fitness, exercise, whatever. Podcasting. Podcasting, yeah. When you turn on one of these modes, it changes all your notification settings. You can have custom settings for who and who is not allowed to contact you. Um, You can have custom notification settings for which apps are and are not allowed to show up here. 
you can have custom home screens that appear or disappear depending on what focus mode that you're in. By the way, Dita, I, I just want to correct you. Apple's official terminology is that you're in a focus. No. Which is right next to like do a blog in terms of just like, <laughs> I know what you're saying, but I need you to not say it anymore. Oh God, in a focus, sponsored by but Yes, go ahead. When you're in a focus. When you're in a focus. <laughs> oh my God. That's what they keep saying. It, no. it was, it was, they just kept saying, it. I was like, I, I want to ask you about it, but I really don't want to know the answer. <laughs> so you can already like show and hide different home screens. So different foci focuses can show and hide different home screens. And that means, by the way, that you can have more than one app, app icon on your different home screens. So you can have Twitter in like four different places and they can appear and disappear. So the number of calls that I'm gonna have to deal with um, my relatives who aren't um, super tech savvy with like where my icons oh, yeah. go is gonna be off the charts. Now, I will say that there is there is one thing I wanna give Apple credit for with uh, focus, focus modes is all, a bunch of these were already there in iOS 14. We already had drive mode, do not disturb mode, and sleep mode. What they've done is they've actually just put a proper UI on it, and they subsumed all mm -hmm. of those modes that were sort of weird before into this feature. So there's something smart about that, but I'd be very curious to see if anybody actually uses this, if anybody can actually figure out how to configure it. And if Apple's AI, which is going to automatically pre-configure uh, the different focus modes when you turn them on, uh, will actually do what you want it to do. So many feelings. I feel like these are all connected to... I don't even... like. Well, no, it's just like all this is also connected to how they're handling notifications. Yeah. Which seems extremely complicated. <laughs> and this is all stuff that works really well. When I reviewed the HomePod... I had in the back of my mind, like the Apple man, right? Like dressed in all black, wireframe glasses. Oh, that has man. a design okay. job. Yeah, yeah. You know, lives alone, only uses Apple services and is very demanding. And there is not a one straight icon on their desktop. Yeah. And it's like they, they made the HomePod for that person. That market was small. They discontinued the HomePod. <laughs> right then there's like me and like there's got icons everywhere just screenshots for from five years ago are still littering my screen yeah and i'm not i'm never gonna sit here and like beat my way through all the settings for the focus modes but yeah ai is supposed to like somehow bridge that gap right and i that's like the the big question mark is whether you can deduce from my chaotic phone usage some set of order in rules yeah. about how I might use my phone at any moment. And the answer is like, oh, just take Instagram off that thing. <laughs> like, just, just get rid of that icon and I will be more productive at work. So we should talk about the ecosystem for half a second too, because focus modes can automatically sync across all your Apple devices, Mac, yeah, watch, phone, iPad, whatever. And if you so choose, you can make your focus modes available to other iPhone, Mac, iOS, Apple users, so they can see your focus mode. They can see that you're on a do not disturb or whatever. And the time from, this is a cool feature that's sort of like an away message, I don't know, but it's not quite the thing, but maybe I'll use it to um, teenagers harassing each other by setting focus modes explicitly designed to tease their friends or enemies is going to be so short. Yeah, but that's, I mean. I mean, I'm doing it tonight. <laughs> on the scale of I've enabled malicious teens, like, yeah. Focus mode bullying is okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> can't hurt people too badly. They got to learn it somewhere. One of the things that's really interesting about needing to be in the ecosystem, in several of the focus modes, they're like, we'll let notifications from certain people through. Right. Which is, like, conceptually great. There are many situations in which you'd like, I just want my family to get to me, but I need to focus otherwise. 
unclear how they are detecting who is who inside of apps. So if I want if if I want to turn everything off, but Dieter can Slack me, I have no idea if that's possible because I don't think Slack is exposing who messages are from to the notification system. It's just sending notifications. There's like another layer of data that has to happen here. And then another layer of app vendors, not just lying because I think they will, <laughs> like the New York times were like Dieter needs you to know about this breaking news. <laughs> you can also, uh, third party apps can also read those focus statuses if they want. So in theory, if Slack wanted to, it could display your focus mode notification and have it change your Slack status, which I guess when you think about it, you want your fundamental status to be handled by the platform, I guess. But there is sort of a potential future tussle for who's in charge of what status I'm telling other people I'm in. Yeah, I mean, we've written about the desire to have a universal. I mean, it's basically an away message. If I could set a system wide away message and have a bunch of messaging apps respect it and like use it, a we would have brought back away messages, which would be great. And B, like it would be tremendously useful. Now, do I want my Slack away message to be a bunch of emo song lyrics the way that I want my iMessage away message to be that? I mean, that's, I don't know. I mean, that's how I ran with it in AIM <laughs> in college. I, I really want my mom to get a different away message than, than work. Because yeah. she won't get the she won't get the emo lyrics. She'll just be very confused and continue to like text or call. I continue to be successful in my career. Please do yeah, not that's, that's all I want for my mom. That's that's all she needs. <laughs> Doing fine. Can't talk. I think this is. I mean, this is the reason they announce this stuff early. App developers have to build towards it. They have to use it when it actually comes out and those apps are ready and they all get updated. That is when we know how well it works. The ideas are there. I just that one of like I want to turn off all my notifications. Even now when I do that, I end up enabling Slack, which is the most distracting one of all, right? And it's like, I have to because some of the people that need to be able to break through the wall message me on Slack. Or I have to go to all of them individually and say, please text me for the next two hours, which makes no sense. We'll see. I'm very curious how this works. There's a lot of messaging apps I think that are going to try to find ways around it or through it, but we'll see. Do you want to talk about the privacy stuff real quick? So there's a bunch. There's an ancillary thing, which we should maybe circle back to, which is putting your ID on your phone. They're adding a sort of a, they changed the name from the paid version of iCloud to iCloud Plus, but it's just iCloud that you pay for. Uh, it now has this sort of double proxy that's not quite a VPN, but serves similarly the same sort of functions as a VPN, kind of. Makes it harder for people to track what you're doing on the web. They're finally doing something to try and stop tracking pixels and mail. Uh, unclear how um, effective that will be and how similar it is to the thing that's been on like Gmail for years upon years. And then the other thing that they're doing is they're uh, creating an app privacy report, and they've also got an app privacy dashboard. So you can see when various apps are using various sensors. This is uh, similar to what just got announced for Android 12. Uh, the app privacy report is sort of like the Safari report that like tells you how many trackers are on a web page. Um, I think with app with the app privacy report, that might be a little bit more actionable than the Safari one. But um, I don't know. We shall see. But that's the big stuff, is they're doing a little bit better like obfuscating your activity online, and they're doing a little bit better showing you what other apps are doing, uh, and they're not uh, making uh, some of the stuff available in China. Yeah. So the, the Relay thing is super interesting, because there's actually two Relays involved. One is right. controlled by Apple, 
and the other by a third party. The third party might change in different countries from what we understand. So far as people have been using it, I think it's been Cloudflare. Yeah. But basically, the, the first hop is to Apple, which obscures who you are. And then the second hop is to the third party provider, which obscures where, where you're trying to go. Right. That's a lot of hops. Right. So, like, I'm curious, will it be fast? Like, will it interrupt anything? Will it break anything? Like, you know, Apple's position is like, of course we tested it. But yet we have to see. Then on the mail side, I think Casey wrote about this on the on the Verge this week because Casey's business is running a newsletter. He's very interested in how email analytics might be changed by this. <laughs> yeah. He he published this stat, which he sourced from Neiman Lab, which sourced it from a third party analytics company. Ninety three percent of mobile mail opens are in the mail app, which seems completely wrong to me. That can't be right. Uh, I mean, on iPhone maybe, but. Uh, right. It's, sure. It's, yeah, it's definitely higher than I think I'm willing to admit to myself because I never use the mail app mm-hmm. and I do not enjoy it and I haven't for many years. But I can't believe it's that high. Yeah. If if there's anybody out there in email marketing who's panicking, please tweet us your your <laughs> Apple Mail number or email us. I'm very curious. It's one of those stats that we just don't ever think about, and here it might have this like downstream impact. Yeah. The other thing that all this privacy stuff. Why is Apple doing all this privacy stuff? Yes, they want to protect your identity, but the mechanism of like wanting to track you is all because of advertising, right? Like the reason that your privacy is under risk is because there's a gigantic advertising business model on the internet. Yeah. The advertising ecosystem really wants to know who you are so they can target ads at you and sell you things on Instagram. It works, people. Trust me. It's a real problem for me. But the other side of it is, as Apple closes the funnel of advertising, and makes advertising businesses really hard. They're there ready and waiting to take 30% from any other purchases you might make on the phone for things like newsletters or paid podcasts or anything like that. So there's, I think Apple's in a, in a complicated situation here. Most of the media ecosystem, us included, I'm sure there's going to be some ads that I'm made to read on this podcast shortly, but most of the media ecosystem runs on ads. The ads run on targeting. We just know how this works. If you want to change that, the burgeoning way of changing that is direct payments, right? That is going and paying Casey for platformer directly. That is tipping people in apps like Twitch and Twitter with super follows and all that stuff. That is platforms like OnlyFans and Patreon, all this stuff. And if you think of those as digital products, because it's all just digital products, right? You can't buy a Kindle book. What does it mean to buy a newsletter on the iPhone? Right. Apps and services that produce that stuff are going to run into 30% tax. And so I think there's a little bit of a dilemma here for Apple, just in terms of they're shutting down, they're closing down a bunch of advertising stuff. And rightfully so. I think people think that stuff is invasive. I think they have a great moral case for it. They're also the absolute toll booth for the creator economy, (laughs) unless the entire creator economy happens on the web, which would be cool. I just... Doesn't seem right. Well, uh, also, I don't know if you noticed, but they they sure didn't announce any uh, big improvements to progressive web apps at the uh, WWDC conference. So uh, they did not. that's that's a thing. Didn't happen. No. Yeah. And like their improvements to Safari are like, now it'll be harder to use <laughs> because the address bar is going to float around all over the place. I mean, like they didn't do any core web stuff. They made Safari like look better. Yeah. They put the address bar on the bottom and like, hooray. That's great. I, that's a better place for it on a phone because the phones are huge. Yeah, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> they moved. They moved a bunch of UI to the bottom of the phone so you can use it with one hand. I can actually like 
use it with one hand now because I have very, very small hands. And so before, I, if I wanted to like use the top, I'd have to like get both hands out. And <laughs> I'm very excited to just use it all with one thumb. It's going to be great. Whole new world for me. But uh, back to the privacy thing for a second. Uh, there was one new feature that, not to get all morbid, uh, but uh, with iOS 15, there'll be a new feature that lets your family access your data and your photos uh, should you die. And they were super casual about this at the keynote, which came off a little strange, but they were like, blah, 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 blah. So when you're gone, it's, you know, just like yeah. dropped it without any kind of like, uh, but yeah, it's kind of surprising that like this did not, was not there before. And uh, now it will be, uh, which is good, I think. Yeah. It's, and it's actually a big policy change for Apple because before that was it. Like, if nobody had your password, like all your stuff was gone. So they've like made this change. I think Joanna wrote a big piece and had a video about yeah. this so it, like but you're right it was very casual it was like and now on to spatial audio and it's like wait hold on <laughs> <laughs> i'm still grappling with my inevitable mortality because exactly. we just <laughs> pump the brakes for one second uh we should take a break actually and come back and talk about spatial audio we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by state farm you've heard it before like a good neighbor state farm is there but it's more than just a tagline because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Okay, we're back. Yeah, there's there's more to talk about, but Chris, you've been living in a spatial audio universe for these past few days. T tell us what's going on here, because there's like a lot of spatial audio news. It was took it was tucked into every nook and cranny of this announcement, and it's actually really hard to unpack it. Yeah, because now there are two kinds of spatial audio from Apple, uh, which isn't confusing at all. Uh, <laughs> there's the head tracking kind of spatial audio, which came out last year for movies and TV shows. So if you watch through certain apps and you have AirPods, you can turn your head and the sound will stay like planted or fixed like on your source device, like your iPad or your or your iPhone, which is cool. That works super well. Uh, but this past week, they launched spatial audio for Apple Music, and that works with all headphones. So that's cool. But this whole thing about like surround sound music is not a new concept. I don't know how many of people listening to the show have heard like a super audio CD, but uh, the music industry has been pushing this kind of thing for years and years and years. And so uh, this is like the latest uh, take on that. And it's all done through Atmos and uh, certain tracks sound really special, but I'd say 70%, you're just kind of sitting there wondering what happened to the song that you knew before. 70%? Yeah. Really? Oh, it's so hit and miss, dude. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> so, so there's like a lot to unpack here. So the spatial audio with a video... Mm -hmm. The reason that it does head tracking makes a lot of sense because that is basically just taking surround sound from a movie. We've got a center channel and the voices are always coming out of the center channel right. and kind of recreating it in a 3D sound field around you. Mm -hmm. 
So if you turn your head, it still seems like the voices are coming out of the people on the screen. This yeah. I totally buy it. It is one of the cooler sort of like AirPods demos you mm-hmm. can do with someone. It's just very impressive. It has a utility to it. Like I, there's a part of me that's like I. It's more fun to watch movies this way because it's like everything's all moving around, right? Um, and then I'm like, wait, I own several televisions. What am I doing? <laughs> the music stuff is different. Yeah. Like it's different from like a business way. It's different from a experience way. And then it's different as Chris was saying. And like, nobody knows how to use this stuff yet. It is just a mess. Like it, some of these tracks are really impressive and cool. And some of them, I think the joke I made is I, I listened to uh, simple man by Leonard Skinner yesterday. And it just feels like the guitarist is like, creeping up behind you to play. Like, like, what's happening? Like, why are you over there, dude? Like the rest of the band is on stage. Like, it, get to work, man. Is it like a Looney Tunes? Like your Bugs Bunny and the guitarist is Elmer Fudd and he's just getting closer and closer. It's like, are you just late? Like, what has happened to you? seems like newer albums are better because like now producers actually do mix like for Atmos and so like newer albums like the St. Vincent one that people have been talking about, I think, some other stuff that's been out recently is all mixed for Atmos. So it sounds good. But if you go back to like, you know, old stuff, it's mostly like remasters and that really comes down to like how much people care about like making it sound good on atmos and it seems like if you're a fan of blink 182 you're going to be disappointed Uh, (laughs) that's that's uh, really an evergreen statement there chris (laughs) (laughs) but there were these songs that were like the ones to check out to hear it bad and so i listened to papa roach yesterday for the first time in like 20 years because it was like a particularly bad example of spatial audio so i had to experience it so it's really interesting with that right um all those like big rock songs, pop punk songs, they were all mixed for two channels mm-hmm. and they're all mixed to be pretty loud. Like all those sounds are, they're mixed like in the studio. They, they cut frequencies, they stack them to layer those sounds and make those songs sound huge. And like, right. They're just big sounding songs. If you like disassemble them and move all the instruments into corners of the sound field, like those songs start to sound really empty. Right. And there's like, I think that's what most people have described it as. Like they feel really echoey and empty Mm -hmm. because you're not supposed to be able to pick out every little instrument. It's supposed to be like a big wall of noise that like, right. We're just going to learn how it works. And just like, um, with stereo, like really, really early stereo records, like the producers were overexcited and were just like hard pan the guitars all over the place and they don't do it anymore. Like they Mm -hmm. figured out how to use it. So we'll see, but there's just a part of this where, Apple Eddie Q gave an interview to, to Michael Singleton at Billboard. Mike used to work at Verge. He was so mean about lossless, my heart was broken. He was like, <laughs> no one can hear it. Your ears aren't good enough. Like, uh, but he's like, spatial is like HD. It's like, it's the jump to HD. Everyone can hear it. And it's true. Everyone can hear it because it sounds so different. But it's not like you're getting more necessarily. It's just a different kind of tool. Yeah. He had tried to sell it quite a bit by saying it sounded like you're like in the room with the band, which it's not that great. Even like I'm so you can listen, listen to it through headphones. Uh, but if you have like a full on Atmos system, you can play it from the Apple TV 4K. And there it sounds really, really nice. But I think like the bulk of people, how they hear this will be through the AirPods, most likely. Or, or any headphones, because you only need two channels. Right. And all they're really doing is playing weird phasing and delay tricks. Mm hmm. So like you can do it with any headphones because you're just sending the signal out. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting to me is that I think Apple's making a big deal out of it. They're like kind of owning it. 
right? Like this, it feels like Apple announced spatial audio, right? But like it's actually Warner Brothers and Dolby <laughs> and Universal, yeah, just giving you these mixes they already have, right? Three years ago, they're like, this is the this is the thing, and I think their hope was that everyone would charge more money for it and then pay them more money because that's how the music industry works. They're like. <laughs> Would you like to pay us for Dark Side of the Moon again? We know you would. And then, like, off, they're off to the races. But, like, these Atmos files are the same files that Amazon Music has, that Tidal has, right. that, right? They're not getting special Apple remasters. So it's, I'm very curious to see if these things sound different across different services mm-hmm. or if Apple's doing some system level spatial audio stuff. Like, there's just a lot of parts of the sort of signal chain where I'm not sure what, who's doing what when. Right, and they said uh, this fall they are going to bring uh, the head tracking stuff to Apple Music too, and so I think that's going to be pretty strange. I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. So you can like back up to the guitarist and get closer. <laughs> <laughs> you can turn around to that Skinner guitarist. I really want everyone. I'm sure you haven't listened to Skinner in a long time. It just feels like a fair bet. Um, <laughs> but Apple made a bunch of playlists, right? Called like for Apple Music in spatial yeah. audio, and so there's a rock one and a hip hop one. So like just dive through them; they're fun to listen to. And like, just go into the rock one and like, just listen to this dude. Just creep. I'm so excited. Like, I'm honestly going to do it after, after we finish this podcast, but, and it's only in those, like the spatial audio stuff's only in those specific playlists, right? Like you can't just, it's not like if you already had that song on a playlist, it's suddenly going to convert. It depends. It does. Yeah. If you have it downloaded, you have to delete it and re-download it, obviously. Okay. That makes sense. If it's just in a playlist and streaming, it'll just play. One thing that's I, Chris and I were talking about this yesterday, you can't turn it on and off in the app mm. per song, which I would really like to be able to do. You're, right. It's either on for Apple Music or it's off. Mm-hmm. And like there's one setting in the middle called automatic, which I don't quite understand. Like, Chris, maybe you can explain it better. But I, I, either way, you're like enabling it all the time or you're disabling it. And like, there are some songs where like, oh, this sounds great. Like classical music in spatial audio is like very cool sounding. Jazz too. But any rock song just sounds mm-hmm. empty. And like, I should just be able to turn it on and off, right? Yeah, you should. I think so. Uh, yeah. So the auto mode, I think that does actually look for Apple's own devices like the AirPods or uh, certain Beats headphones. And so it'll just play those uh, by default, which is kind of wild. That, like millions of people are now just going to hear this by default for their music. So I guess that kind of shows how excited Apple is about it. We'll have to see where it goes. I mean... I've left it on and off to hear the difference. And there's one shortcut where you can like use the uh, control center and like turn off spatial audio real fast. And that'll like switch the mix back to the stereo version. And so that's the fastest way I've I've found to go back and forth. Uh, And that's in the control center of the phone. Yeah. So you can just pull that down and do that. But there should just be like a button to press to like switch between the two. I don't know as much about music as as you guys do, because Neil, I started talking about like all the bandwidth and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know any of that. This is new information. I'm just listening. <laughs> is it really like HD for, for video? Or no. is it more like when they started color, like colorizing black and white films, where it was like these things were never meant for this. And we're like, you know what? We're going to we're going to put a bit of splash of color on here to get people excited about It's a Wonderful Night or whatever. That's I think this is like a very Vergecast question. What mm-hmm. is like HD for video implies so many things it yeah. implies higher resolution. Obviously it also for most people implied a dis- different aspect ratio and then further implied a different form factor of a TV that got everybody to buy a new TV. Yeah. There were some very strange, like 
HD CRTs <laughs> and they like roamed the, they roamed the earth like a dinosaur. You know, it's like, but for most people, when you say HD, it's like, you might not have been seeing the extra resolution. You might've just been seeing that it was 16 by nine now. Yeah. You might not have been perceiving 16 by nine. And I promise you most people, when you start trying to explain aspect ratios to them, they very quickly stop dating you. Um, uh, uh, um, <laughs> it's a little personal story. Uh, you might have just been perceiving that the TV was thinner and on the wall. Yeah. Right. So like, there's like a lot to unpack from HD and like what people really meant and why you want that because it drove this big buying cycle. Isn't the banner better analog just 3D, 3D TV? It was a, a desperate attempt to get people to to buy stuff and, yeah. and remaster stuff. Maybe, but you had to buy stuff for 3D TV. Yeah. Like here it's just there and works. And wear your little glasses. Yeah, so there are no glasses to buy or like TVs to buy, which was the worst part of the whole equation in that case. Yeah. Yeah, but like, so higher resolution audio is the reason EdiQ is dunking lossless audio or the reason that, uh, you know, it's fun to laugh at audiophiles who buy $5,000 cables is because they sw- people swear they can hear it and most people mm-hmm. can't hear anything. There's some old quote from uh, Steve Jobs. I think it was like one of uh, the All Things D appearances where he said like music is one of the first cases where people just settled and stopped caring about quality. Like whereas yeah. film, we just want like 4K and HD and it's gotten higher and higher. But for music, we just kind of settled on like MP3 and AAC. So I guess like the question is now, is spatial audio the thing that'll like send us to a new new era of music yeah but the thing is like you what you perceive when you see something like the delta between you seeing that it's different is like pretty small compared to music right most people are like i'm very happy listening to the song i like on a very tiny airpods airpods sound like garbage people love them what are you gonna do right like they like them they're happy they're moving on with their lives it does the job it does the job so you have to make it sound really different for people to notice it. And this sounds really different. Mm-hmm. And I think in some places as Chris and I have both experienced, it sounds really cool. In some places it's just like, yo, Gary Rossington was late to the concert today and he is just <laughs> soloing his way up to the stage. Um, and in, the, in some places it sounds, I've, I've seen this on Twitter a few times now, like you're pushing the hall button or the concert button or the stadium button on an old receiver you know, and you're doing that kind of crazy DSP effect and you're just like adding a bunch of echo. And it's like, why did they build these features? Like who, if you are out there and your primary listening mode is like stadium, I just want to, I want to know who you are. Like, I'm so curious, like let's hang out. I'll buy you a beer. We can listen to some echoey music at your house together. Um, but like, it does feel like one of those gigantic permanent DSP effects. And I think maybe the industry has to like catch up to it, but it's also fascinating to me that Apple is like really grabbed it. It's a Marvin Gaye song, right? It's like their big demo with Zane Lowe yeah. in one of the playlists. Yeah. They're like, here's the mono version. Here's the stereo version. Now here's spatial audio. Um, and it's a cool demo. And Zane Lowe mm-hmm. is very exciting. Like he's just, when Zane Lowe's excited, you're on that roller coaster with Zane Lowe. Like he's a compelling figure. It is also the exact same demo that Dolby does on its website with a less exciting person, right? Like this is happening somewhere else in the industry and Apple's just sort of grabbing it. So we'll see. I told you we could talk about spatial audio for an hour. Dieter, do you want to do iPad multitasking for the next hour? I I do. Actually, I want to think about that a long time. I want to talk about Monterey before we get there. Um, So here's what's new in Monterey. All the stuff that we talked about for the iPhone. So FaceTime stuff. 
the share stuff in FaceTime. Oh, uh, by the way, whenever anybody sends you a link to anything now, if uh, it exists in an Apple service, Apple's all of Apple's news and video and whatever services will now have an extra tab saying, here's stuff that people shared with you. This is the, yeah. the social update to iMessage. I, I don't I don't think that's going to work, but it's there. Um, they have focus mode. Uh, they have the new quick notes thing, all that stuff. And then the coolest demo is universal control. Oh, yeah. And there's a bunch of other stuff. You can AirPlay to a Mac now, uh, but don't try and use it in a monitor because AirPlay is not that good. I could talk about shortcuts for a long time. But like universal control is you start it from a Mac and then you slide your mouse over to the left or right edge of the screen. And when you do that, the Mac is like, I bet you there's an iPad over there. And then it tries to put the cursor onto the iPad and then you keep sliding and then it gets accepted by the iPad and now your cursor's on an iPad and your keyboard and mouse on your Mac control the iPad. And then once you've made that connection, you know, they're just together. You can actually use the iPad's keyboard and mouse to control your Mac if you want. It just becomes like a mouse that you can move around with any of the attached, you know, mice controllers and whatever, whatever screen the mouse is on, it's controlling that screen and your keyboard works on that screen. It's a very cool demo uh, and I made a video about it based on basically technologies that Apple has had for like three or four years. <laughs> they just finally like yeah. put them together in the right way. I love the fact that they're just sort of assuming that if you add a third screen, it's on the other side. Like, yeah, you know that they tried to whiteboard some extremely complicated technical solution. And then the one person in the back of the room was like, well, if there's already one on the right. Isn't it probably just on the left? Yeah. And that was just like the end of that conversation. <laughs> Uh, here's the question for uh, VergeCast listeners everywhere. If you are one of the people, and I, I respect you, I believe in your right to make this choice, even though I fundamentally disagree with it, having tried it myself for many years. But what if you are one of these people that puts your dock on the left or right of the screen? Ooh. What happens then? Ooh, you're still around? I didn't know they they existed still. Oh, yeah. Don't. Don't. I, again. I think I used to do it when I had when I when I had two monitors when I just had like two monitors mm -hmm. that that was that it made sense then because you would put it on one monitor to one side and you'd be like this is my big boy monitor this is my <laughs> my main monitor and then there'd be the other monitor and that's just where you played all the anime that you got off like BitTorrent and <laughs> if if you're uh, if you're a doc on the side user Alex's uh, Twitter account is Alex H Kranz and you uh, you should let her know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just let me. What anime are you watching, and what torrent like <laughs> site did you use to get it? Amazing. I used to be a uh, dock on the side person. Then I got a bigger laptop. Yeah. 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 You get a bigger <laughs> screen. You get like, you, like the last time I did it, I think we all we were still in like full screen mo mode. You know, we yeah. were still yeah. doing the like the the little terrible squares. And so I'm like, who? I guess there are people still using those. I guess it's, it makes sense, but I, I do. I am really like curious who's still doing it now because it just. Oh, we're going to hear from some people. Yeah. I like my DMs. I should probably close them. <laughs> it's going to be like a 500 to one ratio of people who have the dock on the side to people who listen to everything in stadium mode. Wow. That's my, my current <laughs> feedback ratio guess. <laughs> uh, shortcuts is going to sync between iPad and Mac and iPhone, which means that all the shortcuts you've set up on your iPhone will appear on your Mac. And then if you try and run Great. them, they'll just error out if they don't work, if they don't <laughs> have the uh, appropriate app. Um, they're keeping Automator around, but the future is shortcuts. Uh, so who knows how long Automator is going to stick around. Uh, hopefully a while, probably a while. 
Um, they said multi-year process. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited for shortcuts on the Mac. I um, I'm excited for Apple to actually actively develop some sort of automation system on the Mac instead of uh, mm-hmm. you know ignore it, which is what they did with Automator for the past five years. So that'll be good. Yeah, I think what's I've seen people do amazing things with shortcuts on the iPhone. I think I am sort of excited about the idea that Apple's committed to an automation platform that works across devices because that means they might commit to it working in HomeKit better. Mm. Yes. Because right now that is a mess. Yes. Please do it, Apple. So if this is just like a baby step towards acknowledging that sometimes you just want shortcuts in your house and that maybe they should run on a HomeKit hub and that should not explode in your face every time you try to do it, that would be very cool. Also being able to edit that stuff, those kinds of shortcuts on a Mac, way much easier, easier than doing it on a phone or iPad. Yep, so for sure. Um, I do think that's pretty exciting. Okay, let's take a break, and then we can talk about the, this iPad situation. How's that feel? Great. We're going to take a break. Dieter's going to emotionally prepare himself. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Dieter, here's here, wait before, before we get all emo, one way to think about the iPad multitasking reboot mm-hmm. is that you won. Yeah. Have you thought about considering this as a victory? Yes. I have. Okay. How'd it go? It's it's a Pyrrhic victory. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so two years ago, uh, when they first unveiled the new way to move Windows around on the iPad, I made a video suggesting that um, it was not discoverable or intuitive, that it's very powerful once you learn it, but you have to watch a bunch of how-to videos in order to figure it out. And uh, then once you do, it's great. And uh, two years later, Apple was like, yep, that that is true. And so they kept everything basically the same, but they added hamburger menus to the top of every single window on an iPad that you can now tap to bring up little window options to either move it left screen on left or right or turn it into a slide over or whatever. That's fine. It's great. People will find it that way more easily. Uh, I just can't help point out that this is the system that Samsung has used for years. <laughs> like, if if you've if you've given up and copied Samsung's windowing system, you've definitely failed. You've definitely given up. Yeah, there's only so many ways for them to go, though, right? Well, uh, here's here's a way. Uh, Windows. Just 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 let me let me let me just like pop it out. You can have a like a floating window for certain things inside certain apps, but it floats over the app itself. Like it's like you can it only exists in like like th- three or four different modes and there's a new center mode for a window to exist in. So that's fine. I I feel bad that they had to like make a, a button that you can see and tap, but I makes sense. I get it. I accept it in my heart. The thing that drives me batty is the shelf. So Apps on the iPad can have multiple windows. And before, if you wanted to get to one of them, you would have to open the app. You wouldn't know which window would open. It would be the last one you used, but maybe you remembered. <laughs> and then you'd have to like long press on the icon on the dock, and then it would show all the windows, and then you'd pick another window, and you'd go. Now what they've done is as soon as you open the app, it shows the shelf, which is all of the open windows for that app. Now, this is an app-by-app app thing. So the shelf only exists for windows from a certain app. And it only shows up inside that app. Unless you're in split screen, then the shelf will show the windows from the two apps that are in split screen. Wait. Yes. See? Exactly. That I just I just explained it as succinctly and clearly as it is possible <laughs> to explain it. And all of you are just like, 
wait. Yeah. I mean, what they took away was a bunch of hidden UI, right? They just like made a bunch of UI visible. Yep. A bunch of windowing controls, basically. They have made it, I think, a little bit easier for this multi-window situation. Mm-hmm. Although the one of the things that I just like have never really been able to figure out an iPad, maybe this will make it simpler, is like, I don't know which apps support multiple windows going. That's like a, that you 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 know you just got to long press on some stuff in the app and see what happens. That's how you that's how you pop out a new window from an app. You long press or long or drag on something, and you just see like you just grab a Safari tab and you just go. Yeah, so I, I can that makes sense. Like Safari yeah. is like has like windows. Like it that has always made sense to me. The other apps are like I don't even know. I'm not going to try. Yeah. What if I'm disappointed? Hmm. I don't wish to be disappointed today. Yeah. But like, that's like that, that turn you're describing where like, and then you enter split screen mode and these behaviors start to change. That's the one where I don't think they added any more visible UI to like guide you through it. Yeah. No, it's, it's tough to figure out how that works. And like, it's a real pro user thing. And I think that popping open multiple windows from a single app on an iPad is genuinely a pro user thing. And so I am basically okay with it being a little bit complicated or hidden in some ways, because I mean, it's so rare that anyone actually uses that stuff that it's, it's fine. Like the people that know that, that know it and need it, they can grab it. I've only ever used it on accident. Yeah. I've <laughs> opened new windows on Safari so many times. And then I'm like, I just want you to go. I don't, I don't want you here. And like, when you were telling us how to get to the shelf, I was taking notes so that I can actually go close <laughs> some windows on my iPad after this. I had no idea. The one thing I, I would really like, and I don't think they've added this, is like presets. Presets. Once upon a time when I would like go on airplanes. Remember those? They're great. Mm-hmm. iPads are great on airplanes. They don't use a lot of power a lot of time. And like, I'd be like, okay, here's what I want right now. I want uh, Slack. I want a Safari window and I want messages. Right. And like having to configure that every time always just seemed bonkers to me. Like, yeah, let that just be a button I can push. It's like, here's this app layout I want that's going to make me like productive, like right away. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they've solved that problem. And in, in some ways, they've actually made it more complicated because now you have all these like like split screen app instances all over the place. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I'm willing to give it a shot. But like, that's actually the thing I want is like, here are the three things I want to use. Just let me use them. Couldn't you do a shortcut? Oh, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. Can you do a shortcut that moves windows around on an iPad? That I don't know. I haven't tried that yet. Uh, I'm sure uh, Frederico Vitici uh, would be able to tell you the answer <laughs> to that question. Someone should start like a shortcut consultancy. Yeah, I, that's actually a really good idea. I wouldn't pay, but I'd go to them. Yeah. So, so the- <laughs> you just like wait outside the door, please. Yeah. Try to get some some help from them when they're leaving. <laughs> yeah. I saved my other emotion uh, for the iPad section, even though it could have gone in the Monterey section. What the hell have they done to Safari? <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks cute. So what they, if you don't know, what they've done is they've introduced tab groups on the left, which is great. And then they have taken the entire toolbar and collapsed it into a single line. Um, so on, on the iPhone, it's at the bottom and you have to hit extra buttons to get to share. That's fine. On the iPad and on the Mac, uh, all the tabs are at the top and, you, and uh, the URL bar has been integrated into the tab. And so if you want to go click on the URL bar, you have to find where it is on the left or the right. The tabs are also floating. They're not actually attached to the page that's open anymore. They're just sort of up there in a different color. And so if you're on like fourth tab from the right 
and you want to go to the URL, you either got to remember the keyboard shortcut, or if you go up to click, you got to like, I don't know, like know it's the fourth tab from the right or happen to see a subtly different color because that's the only visual indication that that is the tab URL that you're on. And then on top of all of that, because the URL has been integrated into the tabs themselves, the ability for you to like do stuff with the URL has diminished even further. I fundamentally believe that Apple hates URLs and does not want anybody to ever see them. And it is trying to get there as quickly as it can, but it doesn't want anybody to like notice. So it's just doing it in baby steps. That, but the entire web. <laughs> it's just trying to AOL the entire internet. Yeah. I, the the part where the tab group, so really, what's the rule? Fitz's his rule. Fitz's his law. Fitz's law. Yeah, yeah. Right. Where like fixed points on the screen are the easiest to get to and like require the least cognitive load. Wikipedia. That's yeah, it's it's the edges of the screen that fits law, but I get where you're going. Yeah, yeah. Right. So like right now in Chrome or even the current version of Safari, the top of your browser is like pretty fixed in space. Like things aren't moving around so much. And so like you know where things are, you know where tabs are, whatever. And you have this kind of like spatial relationship to them. And then the guitarist from Leonard Skinner sneaks up behind <laughs> your browser. Um, the new version of Safari all that stuff is always moving. So when you switch a tab, like the address bar opens up and all of the other tabs like scoot over. So you have, you don't have this like fixed, like physical reference to where your things are. And I just don't know, like Apple is better at UI design than most companies most of the time. And this one feels like they, they miss the basics of just let people know where things are in a predictable way. Right. Can you imagine trying to walk someone who doesn't use their computer a lot through opening multiple tabs now and like <laughs> jumping between them? Can you imagine? Like, I, I'm just not going to take phone support calls from family members for a while after this happens because it's just going to be brutal. I think people are going to get lost, but I also think it's, I still think it's cute. <laughs> it does look nice. It looks really nice. And like, you know, they're, they're doing some syncing stuff. They are part of a, a, a new industry-wide consortium with Google and Microsoft and others, mm -hmm. Mozilla, to do standardized web extensions, which I think is really cool and like a big move for Apple. It's very good that Apple did this. Let's not give Apple credit for it in the way that like they like, oh, matter. Like Apple, everyone's basically adopting some HomeKit standards for the low-level stuff for smart home stuff. That's like an Apple-driven thing because they had to fix HomeKit. Apple <laughs> adopting web extensions for Safari is like, oh, everyone else is doing this and uh, no one's making stuff for our stuff anymore. We should probably get on board finally. <laughs> I just think, like, we'll see. It's it's another one of those, I don't know that, like, really basic computer users even use tabs or know they exist or care about tab groups, right? And then, like, yeah. we, are, we exist in a community of very online people who are like, I have 500 tabs open today. One of my favorite newsletters is literally called Today in Tabs. Like, yeah. there's just a huge yawning chasm of expectations from computers here. So we'll see. I just, the fact that all the stuff is moving around seems like the, it's the, that's the basics, right? Is like, leave the UI alone and then let, let the, the content change. Don't have the content just like completely move itself around all the time. Yeah. All right. That's the iPad. That's also happening, by the way, in the, on the Mac version of. Safari too, which I think is going to be even yet another reason for me to not use Safari too often. You want to run through the, the, the watch real quick? 
It's like not a lot happening with the watch. There's not a lot. Like like the most interesting watch stuff is actually not watch stuff. So you can share health data with trusted family members. And so you could theoretically set up your parents or your grandparents' watch to like send you alerts when they have a fall or something else. There's a lot of privacy stuff related to that. They've added workout types for Tai Chi and Pilates. Okay. They, what else is on the watch? They have new photo stuff, so you can like browse through photos more nicely. And then there's a new photo watch face that like pops out the face and puts it over the clock. And it's like, you can scroll the digital crown to like make the face zoom if that's a thing that you want to do. And then of course, the most important feature that is only available on watchOS and nowhere else is you can set multiple timers. (laughs) 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 Oh my God, finally. Finally. But of course, the iPhone, I don't think, can do it. Just just the watch. So once again, the clock app on the iPhone continues to be hot garbage that Apple refuses to touch, and the clock app on the watch is good. Oh, we should also mention uh, iPhone and watch are also getting a bunch of key stuff. Uh, BMW once again promises that you'll be able to unlock your car with your phone six months in the future. feels like that's been going on for a while now. Uh, but they're adding yeah. NFC keys. And so um, they've got, they've got I think they've got Schlage and... Um, another like Yale on board and Hyatt too, right? Hyatt. Yeah. And there'll be a bunch of hotels as well. So yeah. Hotels, office buildings, all that stuff. Yeah. It's it. We're long overdue for just, just use NFC all it's fine. And uh, yeah. So hopefully that gets out there really fast. Yeah. We have not really talked about the, the, the ID card thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to say this very directly. If I'm pulled over and the cop wants my driver's license, the chance that I'm going to hand them my smartphone is zero yep. and yep. it should be zero for you too. Yep. Right. Like that is just, it's just not acceptable. <laughs> and so like, maybe there's going to be this huge infrastructure of, I don't know, police technology that lets you like beep a smartphone to get your ID off it and onto their, like maybe that will exist. You tap their phone. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it's not, <laughs> that doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Um, also these phones unlock with your face. So even if you hand them a phone that's locked and like in that ID mode, their opportunity to unlock it just requires a clear view of your face and they're the police and they can definitely get you to give you a clear view of your face. So like I just, this is one of those features where the tech industry is just moving down the track, right? They want to replace your wallet, all the cards in it. I get it. I, I understand. And there's a bunch of state by state level initiatives to do this work completely understand it but down here on the ground it's like i am never ever going to use this feature i will always want a piece of plastic that i can hand to a a, a police officer or a tsa agent or something because my life is on my smartphone and i'm not handing that over like there's a night like that little fourth amendment vignette in 99 problems is like just in my head all of the time right so yeah. you're just not gonna legally search my shit like that's it that's like that's where your head should be at all the time and your phone is like the gateway to illegally searching you. So I don't know. That's I, I don't want to be on too much of a high horse. I'm certain we're going to hear a lot about this. The chances of me ever using this feature are zero, and it's a very high bar to get me off of zero. Yep. Okay. See, we needed to end with a lecture. <laughs> it's not just <laughs> web standards all the time here on the Vergecast. Sometimes there's strident lectures about privacy. There is a bunch of other news. We should just mention it very quickly. Microsoft today announced... Xbox TV app. Actually, Phil Spencer was on Decoder and he hinted at this stuff uh, yeah. pretty clearly 
a few months ago. So uh, xCloud is basically going everywhere. So they're going to do apps for smart TVs, at least stream Xbox games. They're going to make their own streaming stick, which seems dangerous-y. <laughs> like, well, Why is that dangerous? What operating system is that strict going to run? Android. It's going to be Android. It's going to be Android. It's like they're going to make a weird fire TV that runs xCloud. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, it's it's going to be your little like $50 Xbox on a stick. What's dangerous about this? This is great. I love it. I don't know, man. Like these devices are like, Chris reviews a lot of them. <laughs> little tiny cheap streaming devices are harder to execute than you think. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's fair. <laughs> Microsoft making yet another fork of Android is like, what are we doing? Or they're going to do an official, like, they're going to do, like, a Chromecast one, which is yeah. less dangerous. But, like, or they're gonna, it's going to run Windows, which would be incredible <laughs> if Microsoft went to, like, Disney and Netflix and was like, we need to make a Windows streaming app. Um, but you used to be able to buy a Windows computer and a stick. Like, Intel sold a NUC that was literally a stick that you could stick in the yeah. back of a TV Yeah, back in the day. The marketing genius of calling that a nuck. <laughs> anyway, really bold stuff from Microsoft. Uh, and it's the middle of E3s this weekend, so there's just like gaming announcements everywhere. Um, Google is doing a deal with AT&T to get Stadia out in the world, which is sure. Ooh, sure. That was like when, when Quibi did partnered with T-Mobile. <laughs> yeah. Or when, when AT&T partnered with Magic Leap. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's great. When AT&T does things, it always works out and no one ever loses their job. Um, anyway, really bold stuff from Microsoft. This is what Stadia, like this is what Google wanted to be first to, and they didn't execute well. And Microsoft is just showing up. And I think they're, I think they're, this stuff is gonna be really compelling, especially the apps on TV, other TV platforms. Um, Alex Heath, new Verge senior reporter, Scoop Machine, uh, Scoop that Facebook is playing a smartwatch for next summer with two cameras and a heart rate monitor. One of the cameras appears to like be like constantly taking. It's like very Facebook. You can like detach one of the cameras, right? Yeah. Facebook's goal is to make a piece of hardware that is so compelling you will not use your phone to get around Apple. The Facebook Apple war is like building to a head. And so like, yep, there's some some of this hardware stuff. Then there's like Facebook. It's going to start telling creators and Instagram and on its other platforms how much Apple is taking out of their digital services when they sell things like ticketed events and like they're gearing up, but I don't know about Facebook smartwatch. I don't know. I don't know, man. Chris, you reviewed the new Sony earbuds. Yeah. It's been a busy uh, June for earbuds. Last week was the Google pixel buds, a series, which were a nice set of $99 earbuds. Sony just put out, uh, these WF thousand XM four earbuds, uh, and they're much better than the first pair were. these are now the best noise canceling earbuds you can get. So, uh, so if all you care about is music quality, and uh, noise cancellation. This is this is the one. Uh, they cost two hundred seventy nine dollars, so they're not cheap, uh, but they sound amazing. And and uh, yeah, the battery life is great. And uh, hint hint, we're not quite done with earbud news, so maybe check out the Verge early next week and uh, wow. see what else is coming up. I feel like I just ended there. <laughs> I want to, but we think there's a folding pixel coming this year right here. Uh, I don't know about coming this year. Uh, the, uh, the news is that Samsung is like ramping up supply to provide to Google, uh, this year, uh, that to me suggests that it's more likely next year. We know they're working on it. Uh, so that's true. Uh, whether or not they're going to have the, the guts or the ability to announce one this year, TBD. Also, it's Google, and so it would have leaked for real, <laughs> like a visible thing if it, <laughs> this year. Just, you know, like, 
But it's definitely coming. I just, I am iffy on whether or not they're actually going to be able to announce it this year. And then lastly, President Biden revoked the Trump ban on TikTok and WeChat, which I have to pay attention, uh, never actually banned anything. This is like one of <laughs> one of the extreme lowlights of like pandemic year was the Trump rally and then, you know, the TikTok teens took credit for making no one come to it, which, by the way, has never like been conclusively proven or disproven. We all like a lot of people want to believe it's correct, right? Like it's a great story. I think the people on TikTok want to believe they disrupted this route. We just, I'm just telling you, it's there's the causal link has never really been conclusively proven. It feels right. And like, I'm not going to tell you how to feel. I'm just going to tell you there's never <laughs> been conclusive. Anyhow, um, but that's spiraling into Trump potentially believing it. And then a bunch of China hawks convincing Trump to ban TikTok and then TikTok getting scared and then Trump requesting a finder's fee from Microsoft because he was going to sell TikTok to Microsoft. <laughs> you remember, like, yeah, I'm saying this. It doesn't seem like it happened, but it absolutely happened. And we had to fucking take it seriously every day. And I just remember the look of pain on like Russell and McKenna's face because every morning we'd wake up and like another random company would be in the mix to buy TikTok. Remember, and then Julia was on the show every couple of weeks and she'd be like, another Disney executive has like been forced out <laughs> and works for TikTok now, but he quit. Anyway, Biden rescinded this order that never took any effect. TikTok was actually suing and kind of winning, but there's a new framework for evaluating how Chinese tech companies can work. The United States, the Biden administration does not want to seem soft on China, so that will continue. But I just was remembering how much I had to think about TikTok and Oracle at the same time. Yeah, didn't Oracle that was that almost happened. We it came like maybe. Maybe. But it's just like two great tastes that do not taste great together are TikTok <laughs> and Oracle. Like uh, what were you doing? <laughs> Anyhow, all that news is on the site. There's a bunch of other WWC analysis on the site, a bunch of features we didn't have time to talk about in depth, plus all kinds of other stuff. Also, if you're listening to this on Friday, this comes out on Friday, this morning as you listen to this. Ashley Carmen has a feature that she's been working on for months about a podcasting hype house from the depths of hell. It is one of the wildest stories we've ever published. So go read that. Okay. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless Theaters at Backlon. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. It's true. And Chris is Chris Welch. It sure is. Decoder next week. It's a big one. Jamie Heinemann, the CTO of John Deere. And let me tell you, did we ever talk about repairing tractors for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> Tractors are crazy. Uh, some of the wildest tech you could ever think. Do you know there's like G like NVIDIA GPUs and modern John Deere tractors what? that can identify individual plants? It's Oh, nuts. that's amazing. Okay. Yeah. It was a good one. That's coming on Tuesday. Okay. That's it. Rock and roll. Sip, sip. <laughs>